Jen says you get comfortable again. Let me just clarify something. Um, I, I hope that as we went through the types of sermons, that were that were clear on on what we mean by expository. Right? Anytime you're preaching from the Bible, that can be classified as expository preaching. You are explaining what the Scripture says. Now, if you want to do that from a biographical approach or a topical approach, help yourself. My recommendation is to start with a, a passage, whether that passage is massive and you're covering the whole book or one chapter or one literary unit, right? A paragraph, two verses, or even down to a verse. Start with the scripture and let the verses give you your points. Here, here's why I recommend that compared to this. Some people will say, well, I, I like the topical. I want to preach about spare tires, rugby, and peanuts. Here's the problem. You'll have these ideas, and then you'll go searching through the Bible, trying to support your idea, and there won't be a, a, strong, uh, a, a strong thread moving through your sermon. It's just a verse here and a verse there. Your people will be so much more benefited if you go through the text of Scripture as it's laid out. God put it in this order for a reason. So if you just go bouncing around, you still might have something good to say. And, and I've heard some very good sermons like that. But I think more than anything, you should concentrate your efforts on here's a text. Let's work our way through and let God show you from the text what the main points are. Rather than you with your creativity, which might be a good thing, but saying, I, I think these things are important. Let me find a verse to go with it. I, th I think that can be dangerous. It could be dangerous. It can be done correctly, but it could be dangerous. Um, I'm going to give you just two examples quickly he, of, a, of a topical sermon done correctly. You can just write this verse down. Amos 8, verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. Verse 2, and he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end has come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And he goes on and he uses that summer fruit as an example of what's going to happen to Israel. That's a topical sermon. So you can't say that that's incorrect. You can't preach like that. You can, but boy, you really got to make sure that God's guiding you on how to present that. Furthermore, and even MacArthur, I heard him say this, and I'd have to disagree. He says, every preacher in the New Testament, they opened up their Bible and they went through and explained the Scripture. Now, when you look in the book of Acts, Peter, what did he do? Joel says, David said, there is a lot of Scripture. You look at Stephen. Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, it was just the Old Testament. I mean, it was outstanding. It was the Jewish Old Testament from Genesis to Second Chronicles. Great. That's the example of not just taking a book, but taking the entire Old Testament <laughs> and preaching it. That is the quintessential expository sermon. But then you get Acts 17, verses 22 to 31. Paul stands up on Mars Hill and he preaches to the Athenians. There's a bunch of Epicureans and Stoics and philosophers and heathen. They're worshiping the unknown God. You know how many verses Paul quoted? None. None, because these people would not have recognized Scripture as any sort of authority. So what did he rather do? He, he spoke to them about creation. He spoke to them about how God created all people with one blood and how we find unity in that and how even their heathen poets acknowledged that we're the offspring of God. And then he brought it home. It was a topical sermon. He said, God has proved it to us that that." He has announced himself to the world, and he proved it through Christ in the fact that he, rose, that he raised Christ from the dead. It was the crescendo of his sermon. Not one verse of Scripture from the Old Testament was quoted, but it was a very powerful sermon. He was proving, how do you know Christianity's right? And not some other philosophy. Why is Jesus so much better than Epicurus? And, or any other philosopher? Because Jesus rose from the dead. So he built from creation to that. So you need to know your audience and what kind of sermon they're going to uh, react to. Now, we are dealing with standing up on Sunday morning and preaching to a church filled with, let's say, professing Christians or people that are seeking to know more about Christianity. So we're going to focus our efforts on that. So we're going to 
accepting the more like evangelistic type of. It is. It's not a sermon for Sunday. That is correct. But I'm just letting you know when it's when we're talking about types of sermons, that's a very broad category we can say a lot about. So it's it would be incorrect to say you have to open up a Bible and just preach verse by verse. You can communicate the word of the Lord and the truth, the message of, of Christ. You can communicate that in other ways. But the way we want to really learn and, and dig deep into is this expository method. All right, page four, investigation of the passage. How do you put a sermon together? How do you do it? All right, I'm going to walk you through it step by step. Numbers one, two, and three. I, I put on my paper here the big three. The big three. Notice how I use my margin, guys. I've typed this up. I've looked at this no less than a dozen times. I've gone through these notes, so I know them by off the top of my head. But I've put in the margin the big three, and I've circled them. So that way, when I look down, I know there's something unique about these points. I'm telling you that so you know when you put your sermon together, put, make some marks. Use that to catch your attention. Here's the big three. Observation, explanation, application. You almost want to repeat it as a mantra as you go through your investigation stage. Pick a passage, pick a book, pick a chapter, and then first observe. What does the passage say? What does it say? This is very simple. Very simple stuff. It says Paul. He's writing to Timothy. They're in Ephesus. I just notice what it says. List those things out. Explanation. What does the passage mean? Now, many times these two things are going to go together. It says what it means. Many times it's going to be abundantly plain and obvious. But there are times that you read a verse and it does need a little bit of explanation. When the, when the scripture is using a figure of speech, an idiom of some sort, an illustration, as the deer pants by the water brook. What are we getting at? You need to explain what is this connected to. We're talking about the soul desiring God. You, you might want to explain. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration. inspiration. Does everybody know what inspiration means? Maybe not. You might need to stop there and say, now the word inspiration means God breathed. And that way the, the church is not hearing theological words that just fly over their head. So you need to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So sometimes... You need to give some historical background. I, you may have caught on Sunday. I did this. After I read the text, I prayed. And then when I started, I said, now we're picking up the story on the day of Pentecost. That wasn't part of my text that I read, but it's part, I, we didn't have time to read the whole chapter. So I'm going to introduce that. See, that's a little bit of explanation. Observation, explanation. When you're studying the passage, you're going to have to make sure you know what all the words mean. How is this figure of speech used? What is the context, the greater context? What's happened before and after this passage? What's happening in history? What's going on in this city? All of those things you need to know. And then application. What does the passage require? What does it say? What does it mean? What does it require? What is this passage asking me to do? That's a sermon. Those three things... That is the heart and soul of your sermon. You have to be able to recognize those three things. Now, number four, hermeneutics, I am not even going to cover with you, and I'll tell you why. I, you might have seen I connected it to number two, apply hermeneutics, see number four. Do you see that? Hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. So explanation or interpretation, those two things can be synonymous in this sense. And if you want to know how to properly interpret a passage, you apply the laws of hermeneutics. It's the science of biblical interpretation. This is something we give you in theology class. Garrett covered this a couple years ago, so we're not going to cover it now. But it's in the paper there, so if you need it later, you can look at how that works. All right, number five, investigational techniques. We can move quickly through this. This is how you make notes. All right, I brought my notebook. I do it by hand more or less all the time. Very few times do I do it on a computer. But my rough draft is in the notebook. And I realize you can't see it from where you're at. But I, this is last Sunday's sermon. I took Acts 2, starting in verse 41. I made some lists. Nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs. All I'm going to do is observe. See? So I'm just going to 
look at the text, it says they. Who's they? Now see, when you get into who is they, that's the explanation. They that believe. That believe, that's an adjective that's explaining the they. So I'm, I'm just mapping this out. It really does help you notice things that you may have just read past too quickly. All right, so here's some investigational techniques. Answer the big five. Who, what, when, where, why? And then here's the, 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 and the plus one and how, right? <laughs> Make sure you answer those questions. And this is, you're just going to put these things down in the notes. doesn't have to be in any set order. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? And just make those notes. Observe those things. How did we get to this passage in Acts? What led up to it? How is it happening? It happened through the Spirit of God. When is it happening? The Feast of Pentecost. Uh, where is it happening? They're in Jerusalem. Just make notes. Just make notes. B, emphatic doctrinal assertions. Is there anything in this passage that clearly says this is truth? If you're dealing with the body of Christ, if you're dealing with the resurrection, if you're dealing with uh, uh, vicarious atonement, is there anything in the passage that makes a clear doctrinal statement? Make a note of that. C, problem texts. Anything in your passage that potentially could be misunderstood, you might need to explain that to the church as you're dealing with the text. You can't just avoid these texts your entire ministry. Eventually, you're going to have to bump into some difficult verses. You need to know how to, how to quickly explain why it's not a problem. And the textual variance. You might have somebody in your congregation who's reading from a different version of the Bible. They may not have that verse in their Bible, or it may say something very different. You need to be familiar with what those other things are so that you can address it to eliminate confusion. So as you study the text, that's what you're looking for. D, repetition of word usage. That's why making this list is so handy. Acts 2, it was they, 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 they. I started to notice a repetition. I pointed it out to you on Sunday. All things common. One accord, one heart, one soul. Those things begin to pop off the page. All right, repetition. And then E, authorial intent. What was the author trying to com communicate or accomplish by saying this? Now, you've got to think of this historically. When Paul wrote to the Romans, what was he trying to get done? When he wrote to the Corinthians, what was his intention behind this or that statement? Right? When Luke wrote the book of Acts, why did he tell this story the way that he did? I need to know what the author was trying to accomplish with that crowd so that the crowd I'm preaching to, I will know how to apply it to my crowd. See, if, that, if the original intent of the author was to prove this or that, I may take that passage and try to do something very different with it and end up abusing the passage or misusing it. So what did the author try to get across? This is where you're going to determine the theme. This is where you will distinguish, and I've put it on the page for you, main thoughts with supporting information. What was the major point, the main point? And then what other things did he say that supported that point? And you just want to study that for yourself. F, cross-references. Are there other verses in the Bible that go along with this passage or that support it or help explain it? Start marking those down. For me, that happened. It starts to happen on the next page. So I've, after I've gone through the very basic observing stage, uh, or the basic observing stage. Now, what other passages help explain this? Commentaries. Make use of Find some good commentaries. You're studying a passage, see what some other men have. They've already done a lot of the legwork for you. So I've put underneath here, you can borrow knowledge, but you cannot borrow character. <laughs> it's true. It's perfectly fine to borrow knowledge. But you're going to have to put the time and effort into actually hunting down these, these nuggets, these treasures, these buried treasures sitting on somebody's shelf. You know, people wrote this in the 1800s and no one's looked at it in 150 years. And, and but these guys saw something. And we don't need to reinvent the wheel every time we study for a sermon. Borrow their knowledge and then let the Lord use your personal take on it or, or your, your experience and kind of shape that into something that you can communicate to the people. Illustrations. Illustrations. Uh, 
I've written underneath that, not only notice the metaphors. Now, these two words you know from discipleship, like and as. Notice them when you're reading through. Anytime you see it, mark that down. That it, It's an illustration that the author used to get the point across. You want to dig into that. Don't leave that sitting by the wayside. Put that in the sermon. But then also, think of your own illustrations. Right? Paul didn't have access to rugby or cricket or tennis. So you might be able to take something from our modern day context that people can relate to a little more easily. So as you're studying, maybe that will come to you and say, hey, you know, I know about this and that kind of has the same main idea. I can put that in, in the sermon. Um, quotes from books. This is not on the page, but when it comes to illustrations, gentlemen, you should be reading a lot. As, as preachers, you've got to read Paul told Timothy, give your give attendance to reading, to exhortation. He said, give attendance to it. So as you read, mark in these books when you come across a quote that goes well with a certain point. This is something I've started to do with all the books I read. I've done it for several years. If I find something in the book that would work well in a sermon, sometime, I make a note. I, I put a little asterisk in the book, in, on the page itself, maybe in the on the, the bottom, I'll write something there, and then I go to the back of the book and I write in the back, uh, church attendance, good quote, page 95. And so I, I'm, it's the best I can do to organize my thoughts, but I know I'm preaching on a strong church. Tozer had some good things to say. I read a book on it, on that. And he had a lot of good things to say, so now I can go right back to that book, go to the back page and go, yep, that's the quote I want, and I can go to that page. So I'm, I'm organizing, storing up sermon illustrations. And I have enough for years and years now because you, you read enough, right? Personal anecdotes as well, stories from your own life. Don't be afraid to use them, but let me caution you. You don't want every sermon to just be, hey, listen to what I did, listen to what I did. It, it gets to be a bit braggadocious and people don't really care for that too much. So don't be afraid to use it, but just be sparing. And then inspiring thoughts at the bottom of that page. As you study a passage, if something stirs your heart, man, I, I feel conviction. Or this reminded me of this, or this really, you know, invigorated me. It made me want to do this more. This sermon, uh, this Sunday, a strong church. It made me want to be more a part of a strong church. It made me want to contribute even more when I saw what they did. I want to do those things as well. So I want to put that in the sermon that this is what this verse made me feel this way. I'm not going to be ashamed to tell you that it helped me. All right, the next page, page five, construction of the manuscript. Now, when I say manuscript, I'm talking about the actual piece of paper that you're going to preach off of. So you, know, you have your notes. As, as I pointed out here, um, let me show you. I made page one, observations. Page two, explanations, illustrations, just stray thoughts, inspiring thoughts. And then I start to put down a very rough draft of the outline. And it goes on and on and on. You will not use all your notes. You, uh, I, I don't think I've ever used every single thing that I've observed or explained. Never. Now, I eventually, right, I'll circle back and it will help me eventually, but not in that one sermon. So when I sit down to write my outline that I'm going to preach from, uh, I want to form the notes into something usable. Here's five options. Number one, full manuscript. This is A, sub point A. A full manuscript, this would be 80 to 100% of what you're going to say in the sermon you put in your notes. So this is going to probably, if you're going to preach 45 minutes, this will be about 10 pages, 12 pages, give or take. But this is a long sermon outline. And you are going to struggle to have eye contact with the people. Right, because you're going to be basically reading your sermon. And now a lot of beginners, this is what they do because they've planned out every single word that they want to say. <laughs> they don't want to forget it. And the problem is there, like I said, one thing is eye contact. And the other thing is if you have something hit you in the moment, you can't say it. Because if you do, it'll completely blow up your outline. And you'll never be able to you go, ah, never mind. Just scratch that. Let me get back to this. And it's, it's awkward. But I have seen preachers. I, I actually sat in a service once where the guy had 100%. He read his sermon. 
and it was powerful. It can be done. He had managed to, to, to learn how to keep good eye contact with people and still stick to the script. And it was good. So it can be done, but it's challenging. Partial manuscript, 30 to 50%-ish. Now you understand, this is plus minus. Um, that is pretty much what I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm right around, I used to be around 20%. Now I'm closer to 40 or 50%. I put more into my notes. This is Sunday sermon. Right? This is a strong church. This is just the opening. Right? Uh, then the first point just at the very bottom. So point one and then point two. So I got this last page was a song that I never got around to singing. It was the words that I was going to sing. So four pages. So it's 30 to 50%. What I do is I have enough on the page so that before the sermon I can read my notes. But I don't want to just be stuck with my eyes down the whole time. This is meant to remind me of what I wanted to say. I want a bit of freedom so that I can be me and not just a narrator on a TV show. See, because they read a script. That's it. I want to be able to interact with you. If I see, you know, something's going on, somebody missed something. Uh, wait, you didn't get that? Okay, let me explain it. I, I want to have that personal feel. So what I do is 30 to 50%. And then as you can see, I go through and I, I circle things or draw boxes around it. Don't forget this word. If I put it in red, emphasize it strong. I made a, a heavy line there. There's a, a definite break. That tells me I made one point, now I need to move on to another point. So I, I don't need a bridge. I don't need to tie this to this. I'm moving to something completely different. It's fine. Just leave the first point, go to this. So you'll figure out your own little system for what markings to make. But while I'm preaching, I'm mainly looking at the marks that I've made. Before the sermon, I read through what I've written. It, it refreshes it in my mind. But then while I'm preaching, I don't have time to look down and read four or five lines. I'm looking at these little notes to give me a quick reminder. Oh, okay, that's what this is about. And then I'm able to continue on with my uh, personal contact with the church. All right, so a partial manuscript. I prefer that, but you might like the next one, skeleton outline. Uh, what I have you do in class, that's a skeleton outline. What I hand you on Sunday mornings. This is a skeleton outline, just the three points. Now, this is even more skeleton because you don't have any subpoints with it. In Bible school, I let you put a subpoint or two, right? But this is skeleton. So bare minimum, right? You would think. You would think. Some people, they go another step further. Keywords. I've seen pastors do this. My pastor, the one that led me to Christ, preached like this. He'd pull out a serviette and put down a few words on it. That was a sermon. He'd show up Sunday morning, I kid you not, pull that napkin out, or that serviette out, put it on the pulpit, <laughs> off he goes. He'd just preach. Wow. Yeah, it, a few thoughts struck him, and it worked. Uh, now, I wouldn't advise that, especially as beginners. You probably want a little more there to, to, support, your, uh, to support your effort, but key words. Uh, I'll give you an example. You can write on the page, uh, sin, death, salvation. So there's my three points. So preach about sin. Well, if you know enough about the Bible, you can quote verses about sin. And then what would you say about death? Well, the wages of sin is, you see it. And now what do you need? You need to be saved. So you can see a logical progression. I don't need a lot of notes because I know what to say about that. I've said that a hundred thousand times. So that's no problem. And then the last one, no notes. No notes. That'll be the popcorn preaching that we sometimes do on, uh, in Bible school or during shake-a-tree type events. And uh, some of you have had the blessed experience of preaching with no notes. And uh, that's actually a helpful tool because there are going to be times where the opportunity to preach presents itself and you didn't have any prep time. So as I was taught, there's three things that every preacher needs to be ready to do. You need to be ready to preach, pray, or die. At the drop of a hat, you need to be ready to do those three things. Preach, pray, or die. So if somebody looks to you and says, can you lead in prayer? Absolutely. <laughs> ready to preach? Here we go. Ready to die? Please, Jesus. Here we come. Either way. All right. The order of construction. Where do we start? Where do we start? I'm going to use the illustration of building a house. All right. Building a house. 
the sub point to that, do you guys have gathering materials? Okay, I, I needed, I corrected that. My, my manuscript here, I have something different. Gathering materials, that's, that's the first step in your construction. Now that we've already looked at, it's the investigation of the passage, right? So you gathered the information. Number two, building plans. You need to decide on the type of sermon and its theme. Now, I would suggest that you start with the expository approach, right? So that's decided you need to just work on the theme. What, what type of house is this going to be? What's the main point of this house? Building plans. Part three, framework and body. Now you're going to put up the four walls, right? Just, just the major framework. And then point four, porches. Nobody builds the porches first and then builds the house in between them. You understand what I mean by porches? Is that a familiar word? Right. So nobody builds a porch and then the house and then the back porch. You build the house and then you build a porch on and build a back porch on. That's the order of construction. Uh, and then, so the porches are going to be your introduction and, and your conclusion. So the, the framework, right? that's point one, point two, point three. That's the body of the sermon. Then you build your porches. The last thing you do is hang a signpost on it. Say, here's where I live. So put a title on it and the end. So just like building a house. So you gather materials and then you see what you have to work with. Here's the plan. Here's, what, here's where I want to go. Here's what I want to explain. Now I'm going to build the framework. This point, this point, this point. They're in line with my plan, with my theme. And now how do I introduce this? How do I welcome you into the house? And how can I help you say goodbye, get you out the back door. <laughs> that's, how that's how I'm going to walk you through it. Now, B, and forgive me, guys, I, I, I did the best I could with this outline. Unification, unification, determine a theme. Now, this is, I, I've given you the illustration of building a house. Now I'm going to spell it out literally, okay? Unification. This is gathering the materials and the building plans. That's what I mean by unification. You, you've investigated and you have determined. You looked at all the data, sub-point there, look at all the data you gathered and decide as the Spirit leads what needs to be focused on in your sermon. Sit down and figure that out. You look at Acts 2, verse 41 down to 47. I preached it Sunday. When you look at that, you know what, what came out to me? It was super obvious. It was so obvious I had to use it as the title. This is a strong church. That's the thought that kept hitting me. I can't look at that passage and think, okay, let me preach on tithing. Right? That would be a stretch. I can't look at that passage and say, let's preach on evangelism. That's, it's not super strong in that passage. You might be able to get there, but that's not the authorial intent. That's not what Luke was trying to communicate. He was trying to show us how strong that early church was. So that's now, once I have determined the theme, that is going to unify my sermon. It's going to keep everything in line. If you don't know what you're aiming at, right, then you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it. That's the old saying. If you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. <laughs> you need to know what you're aiming at. No, the second part to this then, after the unification, then formation. Give it structure. Here's where I would say your three main points. Gentlemen, it doesn't need to be three, right? It can be two, it can be five, whatever. But for the sake of tonight, I'm just going to say three. Build your three main points. Each point connected to the theme. So this is your framework. I've given you a couple examples of this underneath. There's two ways to do this. You, the, the points can be directly connected to the theme. So look at the sub point I've given you. Because of... A, because, because of this theme rather, A, B, and C is true. And then, I don't know if you remember my sermon from a couple weeks ago. I preached on looking at the crucified life. You guys remember that? And I took you through Mark 15 at Jesus hanging on the cross and going to the cross and then uh, dying on the cross. We looked at that as an example of how we should carry our cross. So this was actually a topical type idea. I started in Luke 9 with the idea that we are called to carry a cross. Yeah. Now, how do I best teach you about carrying a cross? <coughs> Jesus carried a cross. Jesus went to the cross. So I'm going to then go to Mark 15 and it becomes expository. 
And we read passage after passage. Here's how Jesus looked at it. The internal look, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the inward look, the outward look, and the upward look. So because Jesus had this view of the cross, then inwardly we should view it like this. Outwardly, the world will view us and we view them like this. And upwardly, God looks down upon in this way. So because of Jesus carrying the cross, A, B, and C are true, helpful, necessary. Do you see how that's connected? All right, now the next one, sequentially. Your, your main points can be sequentially connected to the theme. A caused this, whatever this is, which led to B, and now we need C. Now, the most obvious illustration of this is, is the gospel, right? Yeah. So A, A, that would be sin caused this problem, this separation with God, which led to B, that's death. And now we need C, which is salvation. So you see that that's, I'm preaching, I'm getting to the point of we need to be saved, but I need some sequential efforts to get there. Um, let me also mention, well, I've been using this sermon I preach Sunday, so let me use it one more time. A strong church, right? If, if that's the point I'm trying to get across, this would be directly connected. So the point above that one. Because this church, forgive me, just let me see if I'm right. Right. Because this church is strong, well, even I, let me back up. I can say it like this. This church is strong. You wouldn't even say because. This church was strong because of. There, there it is. This church was strong because of A, B, C. So this church is strong because of A, direct. This church is strong because of B. That's also direct. It's coming straight from that mission statement, if you want to call it that. All right. Uh, utilize the sequence of investigation. You guys see that underneath the sequential point? Right, utilize the sequence of investigation, observation, explanation, application. Point one, under point one, how, what do I say about point one? Uh, it's a strong church because they made a sacred commitment. Now, what am I going to say? I'll tell you what I first observe in the passage. Then I'll tell you what it means. And then I'll close that point by telling, how, telling you how to apply it in your life. Did you hear how I did it Sunday? In my opening, I actually did it. I said, now we're reading about a strong church, but it's made up of individuals who are contributing. So even though we're reading about a strong church, think about how this applies to you. I know where I'm heading here. So point one, sacred commitment. How did this happen? They heard the word and I explained it was a, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, right? So now I'm explaining this passage and why it makes sense, why there were tongues involved and People are going to wonder about those things. And then at the end of point one, I asked everybody, have you made that commitment? There's the application. So observation, explanation, application. In each point, you use that, that sequence. Um, and then if you want, and I put in a sub point B, support your points with illustrations. That, that's where you, when you're making your note, notes, any stories, use biblical illustrations. Use stories from the Old Testament. That's a great way to help your people get more familiar with the Bible. All right, so we've had unification, formation, and now we need additions. So now we have the framework of the house, but we need to add on to the house. We need a porch. So then you're going to build your front porch. You want something inviting. You don't want a front porch that is so massive, people only see the front porch and never get to the house. You don't want an introduction that's 30 minutes long and then your sermon is 10 minutes. So keep, as most porches are, they're short, sweet, and to the point. Get me into the house. It, it, should, it, it should be inviting, it should be pleasant, and it should be brief. In your introduction, I've written here, it must arrest the attention of the listener. Get to the point. Tell them what's so special about this topic. The next page, explain why they need to listen carefully to what follows, and it shouldn't take too long. Now, there, there's an option to this. 
some I've done this on occasion, you can spoil the surprise and tell the listeners today we are going to look at the inward, the outward, and the upward look at the cross. So, and you can tell the people, and, and sometimes it might be appropriate, it will build anticipation. Oh, good, I know where we're going. And it gets fun almost in a way. So, the, but that you don't always have to do it like that. All right, another addition, the conclusion. I mean, a back porch shouldn't be very long. It should just be enough to quietly get the person leaving the house and comfortably on their way. So I generally, my conclusions, I try to keep fairly brief. I try to summarize and even repeat my three points. So you know what you've heard, but then I try to always close it on the here's what you need to do. So this idea of observation, explanation, application, that's, that's what a sermon is all about. So I want to end it on what? Application. I've done all the explaining. I've given you uh, illustrations. I've told you about other people and how they've done it. Now, what are you going to do about it? What about you? That Jesus did this with Nicodemus, didn't he? Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. What a thought to have ringing in your head, right? So that's an addition, to have that conclusion. And then one more addition, put a title on it. This is hanging your signpost. Give the sermon a title that is applicable, memorable, colorful. Now, I want to say it's optional. Every sermon needs a title. You, you got to call it something. You don't have to tell the people what it's called. You don't. You don't see Jesus standing up saying, this is the parable of the sower and the seed. And you know, he doesn't announce it like that. He just preached. It's fine. You don't have to tell everybody. But especially with the day and age in which we live, to organize your thoughts and the thoughts of the people, help them remember, hey, he preached on this, giving it this signpost. It's just when you're walking down the street and you see there's the signpost. Now, I know what is going on in this house, right? If it says funeral parlor, I probably don't want to spend much time there. It's not as an inviting of an atmosphere. All right, I'm going to give you an example. Turn to Second Timothy once again, but this time chapter 1. We're coming down the home stretch. Second Timothy one. Are you gentlemen still okay? Are we all right? You've had enough coffee. You should be wide awake by this point. You see, I was I was very sneaky with that, wasn't I? I'll keep my audience engaged one way or the other. I'll keep you wired and excited. Yeah. Now I'm going to give you an example, but not of my own. I've I've used my own tonight several times, so I'm going to use. Dr. Stephen Lawson, again, I, I mentioned him already, but he had some very profitable things to say. This is a sermon that he took his class through right, at Master Seminary. He showed them how he made his notes. Now, I, unfortunately, I can't, I, I showed you in the book, but I can't put it right there in front of you to, to look at it and read. He did. They had one of those nice overhead projectors that can do that stuff, get the money, you can do it. But... Uh, he he is so old school, he doesn't have a computer. I mean, this guy's still alive today, right? He doesn't have a computer. <laughs> so somebody asked him, can you email me this? He said, what's an email? I mean, he honestly has no clue what that stuff does. When he writes a sermon, he writes the sermon with a pen on a piece of paper, and he, get, he hands a, a, his Bible to his secretary and says, copy this page on the photocopy. And she brings in the copy, and then he cuts with scissors, cuts the photocopy of the scripture out, and he takes a piece of tape and, and, and uh, attaches it to the paper, and then circles certain words in the verse and draws an arrow out and writes his notes. So it looks completely different than my sermon outlines. But that is his preaching outline. He wants the scripture front and center. I, it's a lovely idea. I don't think I would ever get used to that. But it works for him. He says sometimes when God changes the sermon, he'll have to tape another thing on. And another, he says sometimes it's seven or eight things deep. <laughs> or he's re-taped and re-taped. Somebody said, don't you use whiteout? He said, what's that? <laughs> I mean, he is dinosaur old. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. He does use a fax machine. He admitted that. But other than that, he, nothing. All right, so here's his sermon from 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 to 7. He called it, Last Words for a Spiritual Son. 
I would have given it a different title. I would have said practical words for a young preacher. The only reason I would have said that is because I think it sounds better. <laughs> That's it. it. Really, this is very subjective on, on that part of it. All right, his introduction. He starts off by telling everybody the historical background for both Paul and Timothy. Last words should be lasting words. That was part of his introduction. Now, see, that's a, that's a, a catchy statement. That draws me in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Last words should be lasting words. Yeah, I can get behind that. And then he's going to start to tell us the purpose of the letter, a little bit of explanation. And then the end of his opening, of his uh, introduction, is going to be application. Look at the last sentence there in the introduction. Would you like to have a life which is a ministry having eternal value? That's now, see, I've got I've stepped onto the porch. Observation, explanation, application there in the opening. You got to do it quickly, but now I'm ready for the sermon. I want to hear this because I want a life which is a ministry that has eternal value. That sounds good to me. Now, he showed the class all of his investigative techniques. Right? He showed us all the papers. And he, he drew it out, nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, circled it, everything, marked it up. So all that was done before this finished product came out. So when he gets into the sermon, point, or the main points, point one, Paul's greeting, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. You know what he does? He just goes through and explains those things. He just preaches the Bible. Imagine that, right? He just explains what those things mean. And as he explains it, he goes deeper and deeper into it. He says, it, it, Paul's called by God. God can call you. Timothy needed mercy, grace, peace. So do you. So he made these explanations and then he brought it home and applied it. And that was a great opening point. Then part two, verses three to five, Paul's gratitude do you see how verse 3 invites that heading? I thank God. Do you see that? I thank This is Paul's gratitude. What's he thanking God for? I know what the point, the main point of that, that part of the passage is. Paul's thankful. So what's he thankful for? Well, now I got my sub points. You see how this works. The, the text will do the preaching for you if you take the time to investigate it. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers, Verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, and he talks about Timothy's family. Now, obviously, I'm moving more quickly than he did, but he explains each part of that. And then he gives a practical application for how your life should cause somebody to thank God. Is anybody thankful for what God's done in your life? That, that hits home. It makes me think, okay, now, not only is your congregation learning the Bible, they're learning how to study the Bible from listening to your explanations of it. Oh, he noticed thank, the verb thank. And he thanked who? God. And for what? Now I'm learning how to study the Bible for myself because my pastor's explaining it nice and orderly. And then he comes to verses six and seven. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That's the problem for Timothy. Paul needed to give him guidance. He says, Timothy, stir up that gift. Now, he uses a different English version, the NASB, which says kindle. Stir up can also be translated kindle. So when you're kindling a fire, you're stoking the fire. Yeah. The fire is starting to dwindle. He's cooling off. He says, Timothy, man, you got to stoke that fire. Don't let that cool off. God's put something in you. You don't be afraid. Verse 7. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. It's in the text. How do you overcome this lukewarmness? How do you stoke the fire? Power, love, sound mind, which is also translated in some Bibles as discipline. A, a solid, structured way of thinking about things. Now, me personally, I got a lot out of listening to this message. Now, let me ask you, what's the theme? What's his theme? You guys help me out. What's his theme? Paul's greeting, Paul's gratitude, Paul's guidance. Great outline. And he properly dealt with verses 1 to 7. He did. He's encouraging Timothy. I'll go for that. He is. He is. 
But when I look at this sermon, right, now, if, if I had to look at what Dr. Lawson was trying to preach, do you want a life, which is a ministry that has eternal value? Okay, then there is something in the greeting, something in the gratitude, something in the guidance that will connect to that theme of coming out with a life that has eternal value. But, now, and it made a good sermon. I think that's quite broad because I would struggle to get verses one, two, and especially one and two. How do I make that part of this theme? Now he did, but it was a, there was a slight disconnect there. I would have rather focused in on verses six and seven because that's, the, I think, the main thrust of this whole epistle is Paul is trying to guide Timothy. So practical words for a young preacher. So I've given you my alternative outline at the, down there under point C. To narrow the focus of the sermon, I would go with an outline that deals with Timothy's problem. The fire is going out. That's the curse. And the, the cause of it, fear. And the cure, hold fast. And then I've given you the other verses where I would where I take that from. You can even see in verse 13, hold fast. Now, I would still have used all of his information. I would have. I just would have restructured it a little bit because I would have had a different theme. Once you determine the theme, that's your building plan. Then your three points support that plan, support that, uh, that, that theme. Then you go from there. So it was a great sermon. I just would have done it a little bit different. And then you tack on the conclusion. It was a great application. He looked at all of those preachers in the room. And he said, gentlemen, some of you have come down for Bible school. And you've been here a few years and you've gone through Greek and you've gone through Hebrew. And because you do, most seminaries, you have to take three or four years of that stuff. And it can really, you got to work all day and go to school all night and take care of your family and still make time to write sermons. And he said, some of you are really getting tired of it. And he said, uh, what Paul told Timothy, what if Paul told you that? Maybe some of you have started to cool off. Maybe you're a little bit scared of how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe you're worried about what your family is going to think if you're a preacher and not a lawyer, if you're a preacher and not a doctor, if you're a preacher and not an engineer, if you're a preacher and not a this or that. And you see, he's, he's, he's throwing the net out there and he covers what they might be afraid of and says, guys, there's only one thing that matters. A life worth living has eternal value. Don't cool off. And he makes it immediately applicable to the people in front of him. He did a masterful job of explaining the passage so that we understood it. But then he made it a part of my life when he talked to me personally. Yeah. All right. So that, that is the construction of a sermon. Now the delivery. Gentlemen, we've hit 8 o'clock. We have one page. Will you allow me the time to go through this, right? Okay. I bought you coffee, so deal with it. <laughs> Delivery and pizza, so that's another hour at least. Delivery of the sermon. Now, this genuinely, this should not take long. Delivery of the sermon. Now, you've written your outline. You see how we've progressed. We've started in your heart. You have to genuinely want to help people. Then there needs to be a commitment. There needs to be a dedication to this, an overwhelming desire to do it. Now we've looked at the investigation. Now the construction. You put the outline together. Now how do you stand up and deliver it? What do you do? First, you're going to have to read the text. When you stand up, take a breath. Take a breath. Guys, I promise you, promise you, life will go on after the sermon. In, in most cases, in most cases, right? <laughs> you stand up, take a breath. Look, look at the people. Think about what you're going to say first. Don't just stand up there and go, well, there's so many people. <laughs> I had a friend once, well, you know, Craig Fitzgerald, the missionary in Mongolia. You might know the name. He got in a big church, 1,000 people, massive pulpit. He got up behind the pulpit. Brother Craig never thought about anything he's going to say before. So he just got up and speaks his heart. He's a great guy. He got up and went, man, this pulpit's so big, I think I can lay on it. And he, he started to climb up on it. That's not a good introduction. Right? 
So first thing you do, stand up. Now, guys, as, as time goes on, you'll become more and more comfortable, especially if it's your own church, right? So you might deviate from this at some point. Say, uh, folks, take your Bible with me. Would you open to 2 Timothy chapter 2? And we're going to be reading starting in verse number 1. Now, while you hear pages turning, this is your chance to collect your thoughts once again. <sighs> okay, once you get that first line out, it's breaking the ice. Okay, I didn't mess that up. <laughs> People are actually opening their Bibles. It worked. It worked. I'm a preacher. <laughs> you haven't read anything yet, but off you go. All right, read the text. Now that everybody's found it, don't, don't do this. Don't say, has everybody got it? Everybody got it? Everybody? In Bible school, I do that. Because it's very informal. Don't do that in church. If you need to repeat the verse a few times to give people an extra moment to find it and to kind of cover the awkwardness of the silence, say, all right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be in 2 Timothy 1. Well, There's a great passage in 2 Timothy 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. See, I'm just giving everybody a chance to get there. Now we're there. Enunciate clearly. Enunciate clearly. Uh, so pronounce your words properly. Do not mumble. Don't be a mumbler. Nobody likes a mumbler. So when you read, I've said do not rush and emphasize appropriately. There are certain things that you know that are in this verse that you're going to talk about later in the sermon. So 2 Timothy 1, verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. What do you think I'm going to talk about? Yeah, that, I'm, going to, I'm going to really, I've tried to hit the main character, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So I've tried to put a little emphasis there, and I'm not rushing. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Calm down. Yeah, right. Take a breath. Read it, read it nice and slow so that people get it. Number two, voice techniques. Loud versus quiet. Which one do you want to be? It all depends on who you're preaching to. As life turns out, I don't have that problem anymore. I'm, I'm the quiet variety now, and that's fine. But depending on the crowd, you might need to be a little louder. You might need to be a little softer in your speech. That's something you'll have to figure out crowd to crowd. Voice inflection. Voice inflection. How do you know when to lift your voice, when to bring it down? How do you know when to speed up? How do you know when to slow down? When should you be silent? How do you know how to really drive it home? All of those things that you do with your voice, how do you know? Part of this is experience, guys. It is. There's just no other way to learn that other than to do it. But one thing that will help is listening to other preachers and noticing how they use it. When it gets your attention... Let that point sink in, but then also let his technique sink in. How did he get that point across? Man, that was the right way to do it. I, I think of, you know, watching, I mentioned tennis earlier. You watch these pros do it. They make it look so effortless. You know? But then by watching them do it, I find myself going to the court the next day, and I can't do it. But I'm trying to mimic that a little bit so it helps to listen and watch the pros, so to speak, and then you can kind of develop that. I've mentioned here being passionate about your topic will usually take care of this automatically. So if I'm really excited about preaching on the will of God, when I hit that in the verse, it will come through. You'll hear it in my voice. When I get to that, you know, point two in my outline, man, this point, this is a, I, I'm excited about this. I learned a lot about it. It's going to come across naturally. I won't even have to try. All right. Number three, clarity, clarity. Be sure the point you're making is put across as clearly as possible. Gentlemen, we're all human. There are going to be times that it made sense to you, and it, as you say it, the crowd's going to look that, that doesn't work. This happens often when I try to speak Afrikaans in front of Afrikaners. It made sense in my mind, but it didn't work in the real world. So don't worry. If it doesn't come across the first time, you might need to just double back and re-explain. But try your preparation. How can I put this as clearly and concisely as possible? Uh, don't ramble on. Try not to repeat it over and over. When you have to repeat the point constantly, this way, that way, this, it usually means you didn't think about it enough the first time. 
So try at your level best to get that right immediately. B, use words that are familiar to the audience or know how to quickly explain what a certain term means. Sometimes you can't get around using certain theological terms, right? Predestination is a biblical word. It's not a word we use in everyday language, but it's there. Election, it's in the Bible. A lot of people are confused by that. So you can't just skip over it by using a simpler word. You need to know how to quickly explain that and move on. That'll take time to master that art of being able to give a concise, clear definition and then get going. Um, know that sometimes you're talking to teenagers. Sometimes you're talking to blue-collar workers. Sometimes you're talking to professionals, PhDs. You might need to adjust the vocabulary of your sermon to match that audience. You don't want to talk to PhDs with teenage language. Oh my God, that's, that's not going to work for them. It's not, going to, it's not going to get their attention in a good way. All right, speak slowly enough so that your words can be processed by the audience. God knows that took a while for me to learn. I used to speak five times the speed that I do now. And when I go back and listen to my older sermons, I can't even hear every word that I'm saying. So I don't know how the audience did at that time. All right, number uh, four, eye contact. Preach to the people and not to your notes. This is where a full manuscript is going to really hinder you. Uh, again, you'll get used to what works as far as notes and, and so you don't have to constantly look down. When it comes to eye contact, you may have noticed tonight that I've tried to do it. Right? I've tried to shift from side to side. Now, I'm not going to get robotic to where I just do this the whole time. I'll get dizzy. <laughs> it's not nice. And the crowd will think it's spooky and eerie. Like, dude, he's creeping me out. He's like, he's like looking for something. It's weird. What I try to do is when I'm making a point, right, I'll look at one person. And then once I've made that point, I'll shift to another person. And then once I see, see, he nodded his head, that tells me he got it. Then I'll shift to this person. Then he nodded his head, and I'll go to this person. Then I saw him smiling. And I just mean, that's how you learn that I'm engaging people. If I look there and, and he's staring off into space, I don't have him yet. I'm going to stay right there for a little while. Yeah. And, and then eventually, when, when the eye contact gets made, he goes, Ooh. Here, I'm here, preacher. Eye contact. Right. Body language. Body language. Are you going to be sedentary or dramatic? Now, sedentary, you just stand very still. Right? You just, you're just there. And the older you get, that becomes more and more natural. <laughs> you don't have the energy. As a younger man, I was incredibly dramatic. The pastor that led me to Christ, he would come forward to the pulpit, back up. Come forward to the pulpit, back up. And then go side, then go side. And go side and side. Forward, back. He was making the sign of the cross. As an ex-Catholic, that's all I could see is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Now, he was all over the place. Uh, I used to. Some of you guys remember, I'd walk down in the middle of the crowd. And that's fine. I've seen preachers jump on the pews. And literally, we call it walking the pews. So he steps on the back of the pews, and he'll go seven or eight rows deep and preach right at somebody. Uh, that, now, that's dramatic. I've seen in the same preacher's meeting, one guy dramatic. He, one guy jumped off the platform, landed, broke his heel, and kept right on preaching. I mean, breaking your heel, that hurts. But the next guy got up and he was just quiet and calm and stayed right there. And both were equally powerful. So don't worry about, well, I'm going to get a better reaction if I act like this. You, you be you. Be what's most natural for you in that. Boldness, the sub point there, will naturally take care of your body language in most cases. Boldness. How are you, how are you going to achieve boldness? Number one, I know God told me to say it. Number two, I know what this means. Number three, I know what to do about it. Yeah? So, observation, explanation, application. If, you are, if you've done your homework, then eye contact and hand motions, that will usually take care of itself. Right? Learn what your bad habits are. This is the next thing on the outline. And take steps to overcome them. Everybody has them. Every preacher in the world. Outside of maybe Jesus. Right? Every preacher has some little thing that they do that's not so great. And me as well. I, Christina has pointed it out to me, and I've tried to overcome those things over the years. I still have one that I hate. I hate it, but I can't stop it. And it's just part of me. It's fixing my glasses. 
constantly. Constantly. Now, I'm not afraid to tell you about it because the next time I preach, you might, oh, there it goes again. Oh, there it goes again. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you now, I don't care that you know. <laughs> so now you can just move on like I have. All right? I don't care that you know. The reason that it's become an issue is because as a young preacher, I would move around so much. Guys, when I got done preaching, I was drenched, just like a basketball player after a game, head to toe, just nothing but sweat. So my glasses are constantly slipping. Then I lived in Malawi, where there is no air cons, and there's no electricity in our church, there's no fans. It's 45 degrees, and we're in a stuffy building with 100 people. It's hot. So my glasses constantly slipping down. So my sermon, the whole time I'm doing this, it just became a habit that whenever I looked down to read the Bible, my glasses would fall, so I'd have to catch them. I'd literally have them falling off my face otherwise. It became a habit. I'm, tr- I'm aware of it. I'm trying to be cautious of it. When I preach with contacts in, you might catch me every now and then. I'll do this. <laughs> I, I went for my glasses and missed because there was no glass. <laughs> that's, that's great. All right. Gentlemen, be aware of the fact that your hands, your body language actually says a lot. Now, you can you can watch TED Talks and all this stuff on this because public speaking is public speaking. Some of these things are universally true, whether you're preaching or lecturing or whatever. But overuse of your hands becomes a distraction, right? Just being very monotone and still, like I said, that gets a bit creepy if it's just focused in on one area. So some of these things you can learn from any public speaker. You can, you can see this, this works, this does. They say that a person who steps out from the podium and this is more open and the crowd will receive him more. I think that kind of depends on the crowd, to be honest with you. But you will learn how, how to see how people are reacting and know this is a distraction or maybe I should emphasize a point more with my hands. All right, this is actually different tonight because I don't have a pulpit to uh, hide behind. Right, so I'm not quite sure what to do with my hands tonight. I can't hold this because I got the microphone. <laughs> so I, I've been struggling tonight. What do I do with <laughs> my hands? So it is what it is. Uh, the last thing, mood. The mood. The mood of a delivery. Four stages to it. Indicative, interrogative, uh, exclamatory, and imperative. So the indicative, you're just stating a fact. This is what it is. Done. Interrogative, you're asking questions with the crowd. Exclamatory, you're emphasizing. This is where you put an exclamation mark on something. You're shouting it, that type of thing. And the imperative, you are commanding somebody. This, this is good to know because if you constantly stay in one mood the whole sermon, it will feel monotonous. Even though you might inflect your voice up and down, all you're doing is stating facts one after another. There's no questions. There's no shift. And the people are going to kind of... I get lulled to sleep. So let me let me use an illustration to, to finish this. Everyone needs to be saved. What is that indicative? I'm just stating a fact. Everyone needs to be saved. Good. That's fine. All right. Let me let me try to work that point, but from the interrogative aspect. Uh, have you been saved? Now I'm asking a question. Same general point, but I'm uh, approaching it from a different angle, and then exclamatory. Even you need a savior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sean. You need a savior. But, but you see, it's the use of my voice in this case. And, and I've put it very sharply. And then the imperative, get saved now. Folks, please repent. Come to Christ while you have a chance. I'm commanding you. I'm charging you with a task. So you can see there's four ways to basically say the same thing. And in your sermon, it would be good to kind of mix and mingle all of these moods so that the, it, it keeps people engaged. It's, it's a lot easier on the ear. Okay, so that's the delivery. Once you're done with your sermon, you pray. <laughs> you go home. So that no, no more need for notes after that. All right, guys, thank you for the extra time. Any questions on any of this? Any questions at all about preaching in general? How did you overcome, let's say, you preach to yourself and then you record the sermon? Now you have to listen to your own self. How do you overcome this thing? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> <laughs>
You don't. <laughs> yeah. um, when it comes to listening to yourself, I don't know of any preacher that likes it. I've never met that person. Yeah. Um, I am to the stage now because our stuff is online so much. It, obviously, it wasn't always like that. I'm certainly not going to put my own CDs in. Right? But I have to go, uh, because of the videos I make for like the Bible Q&A, I have to edit my own stuff. So I am used to seeing myself and hearing myself. I don't like it. I think I constantly critique it and think, man, I could have done so much better with that. Yeah. Um, so what I've tried to do now is take that constructively. So let me learn what I can from it. I know it's going to be awkward. So just like I told you earlier, I'm going to touch my glasses, deal with it, get over it. There I am. It's me. It's the best I could do. That's all I could do. And then you just go on. Yeah, don't expect to ever get comfortable. Right. Anything else? All good. Everybody's all full of pizza and ready to go to sleep now. All right. Good deal, gentlemen. Can I pray with you?